0: One of my great regrets, I guess, from my childhood is that my dad is a, was a mechanic in a mining industry, usually worked on big trucks, but he also could work on any car. And back then, you could work on your own, didn't have all the computer stuff and all that. But all our cars, as, as, as I became 16, I got one of those hand me down things that he could keep running forever. And, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, right? It was a Chevy citation. You ever seen one? Anybody, some of you are like, I never even heard of such a thing. Well, you, you shouldn't have. They should have never made them. But anyway, he could keep them running forever. And, and, and I inherited that sense of uh, frugality, I'm not, if you're one of these people that trades cars all the time, I don't get you. I don't think that makes any sense. I keep mine running until they absolutely can't go anymore. And so I've got this 2002 truck I drive. I drive around all the time, and then when there's a parade, I'll get in the parade, right? Because it's an antique vehicle. But I want to keep it running forever. If I would have paid attention better to what my dad did, and he made me do things with him sometimes... But I just wasn't paying attention. I was just like, here's your wrench, here's this. If I would have just paid attention. Does anybody feel that way sometimes? If I would have just paid attention. But here's, it got a little bit redeemed by this. Come to Kenneth. And there's a mechanic, he's a member of the church, great guy, best mechanic in the world. I'm hoping he hears this sermon and gives me a 10% discount after he hears this. He's the greatest mechanic around. Everybody should go to him. But anyway, he taught me a bunch of stuff about cars, and he was able to diagnose them just by listening to them. He's that kind of person. But I did at least learn some things about those gauges, and these are important in your car. Everybody, it's interesting, any car you have, it doesn't matter when it was made, has the same gauges in front of the steering wheel. It's right there in your face, and it's meant to be in your face because you, know, you need to know what these gauges mean. So I'm going to give you a test. This is easy, so don't get sweaty about this, but do you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Speedometer. Okay, confession time. How many of you have at least... Terry Smith has four. How many of you at least have two speeding tickets in your life raise your hand real high you need to know what a speedometer is this is what registers your speed and when it's posted on the side of the road stay there or below actually the police tell me you can go five above you can't go any more than that and if you're on old Bridger road near grace point church of christ slow down the cop is always there he gets four people in 10 minutes and then he goes somewhere else And I think Grace Point made an arrangement for them to get 10% of the proceeds at their church. They're paying off their church building by these cops. A speedometer is there for your benefit. Here's another one. You know what this one is? How many, confession time, how many have ever run out of gas while on the road somewhere? Some of you have. I have been raised... If it's at half, you're low. Anybody ever been to, how many have taught that? If it gets to, don't let it go below half. Just stay up there. Just stay up there, right? I didn't learn until later on. That little arrow on the side of the gas container thing tells you which side of your car the tank is on. Did you know that? I didn't know that until a couple years ago. And I do know that when it gets near E, that little gas light thing will light up. You know this? Anybody seen that? Go, pay attention to this thing. It's there for your good. Here's a third one. Anybody know what this one is? It should never read this. It should, this is a bad reading right here. That's a temperature gauge, kind of like your radiator. If your engine's getting too hot, one time mine went like that. I was, on, I was on hilltop at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock evening time on a weekday. Radiator ruptured, and that thing got hot, 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 and I couldn't do a thing about it but sit there and just smoke everywhere. It was embarrassing and frustrating. This is your temperature gauge. It should never get to H. Okay, just learn this. this. Don't ever say sermons don't help you. Next one. Last one. Anybody know what this is called? I heard it just kind of subtly around there. Registers RPM. Tech, if you ever drove a manual, a stick shift, Once it gets a certain height, you're supposed to shift gears. That's how you know how to shift gears. But then you learn by here. You don't even need to see it. But if you're ever driving along like I did once and that thing starts doing this, you are in trouble and you need to figure out what your trouble is. These are all gauges. If you're going to make your trip, if you're going to enjoy driving this car, you better pay attention at least somewhat to these gauges. Right there in the front. Right there for you to easily see. I think the Christian life has some gauges like this, and Paul, Paul lists them over and over again, and it's easy to pass them over because it's in what we call the prayer section, the first part of a letter. We kind of like saying, hey, how are you? And so you kind of read by it and don't think much about it, but it becomes consistent in his letters, and he tells us about three gauges. If you walk with God and your walk is going to be successful, it's going to get to where he wants you to go and where you want to end up, you better pay attention to these gauges. They're there to help you make the journey. And if a, church, if a church's gauges start going off like alarms, Paul writes letters to them. And we're going to be looking at this. I want you to look at three of them here. This is from 1 Thessalonians. We are starting 2 Thessalonians, but I want you to look back at 1 Thessalonians and how it started. We're going to refer back to this passage two or three times. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul is always taking prayer time to think about the Thessalonians. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the three things he's going to address. Now, this isn't just a prayer. This is an outline of his book, his letter. These are the three areas I'm looking at. Now, as we move to 2 Thessalonians, he says this, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Sounds very similar, brothers and sisters. As in Right, because your faith is growing abundantly, so it's continuing. You guys are continuing to grow, and because your love of every one of you for one another is increasing, so that's good. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions you're enduring, even as you're having to pay a cost for your faith. It's growing. That's impressive. Now, just as a test case, we're going to back up in the canon to Colossians chapter one. We always thank God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, your love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid out for you. You see, he's, he's like, these are the gauges, guys. I'm looking at the gauges of you as a church, and I'm telling you, these are the three I'm looking at, and we're going to write about them. All right, so here's what they look like. Next screen. These are the three gauges of your Christian life. If you want to function properly, if you want to grow properly, if you want to make the journey the way God wants you to make the journey, you better pay attention to these three gauges. Give them attention. They help direct you. They point out weaknesses and alarms in your life. First one is faith, and we're going to talk about what faith is. This is a little bit of a slippery term because it can refer to two or three things, but the first one would be the content of your faith. Your faith is what you actually believe is true. The Christian faith is a faith that is rooted in Scripture. Scripture is the content of our faith. And the better you know Scripture, the more faith you have. So that's why when we get together, we have Bible class, because we think, uh, you may have heard it a hundred times, you may have studied this book a hundred times, but we need to keep building our faith, the content, what we believe between our ears, that God says is true. We need to be learning constantly about the truth. But it's more than just the content. It's also your confidence in it, your trust in it. Do you actually believe it? When you put it into your head and you say, yes, I believe God says this and this is true for me, does it sink down past your brain into your body and come out your, your, your hands and your feet? Does it actually impact your life? I think Paul means both of these. Your faith meter is your, your knowledge of the truth and your willingness to conform your life to it. You live this way, you learn God wants it this way, and you start making yourself submit to that word. That's called your faith meter. Are you growing? Are you learning? Are you submitting more and more to the truth of God? That's your faith meter. The second one is the love meter. This is a slippery term because in our world it's all about emotions and feelings and all that stuff. But for Paul, this was not, in Scripture, this is not a feeling. This is a posture of commitment and service to God's people. Now, there's going to be a feeling come with it. It's going to happen over time, but the the posture of commitment comes before the feeling does. So I've learned, I have great strong feelings for Harold and Wanda Ferguson. Before I ever knew them, they were connections and they were over here and I learned about them and I knew them. But I come over here and I see their faith. And we have a common faith and they have a common strength of faith as she demonstrated through that whole cancer battle and stayed faithful to the truth. And that because of that, I have strong affection for them. But before those feelings ever came, there was a posture of commitment to them because we shared the same faith. That's what he says. You guys as a church, you need to love, you need to involve yourself in serving other people who have the same faith. The third one is hope. Just wanna explain these things to you so you know what they are. A clear and certain expectation of the return of Christ and our eternal existence with him. We put our hopes in a lot of things but the Christian hope is this. Jesus has this covered, he's got a place prepared for us and it's where we want to be. And we already have started eternity when we were immersed. We're not waiting till we die for eternity. It's already started. Our walk and relationship with God has already begun, but it's going in a direction where we're going to one day be exactly where we were created to be. And that's my hope more than anything else. Now those three meters are there. These three gauges are here. And what I want to do, I want you to hear how Paul uses these gauges with the Thessalonians. I just want to take a few minutes to put the text in its spot, and then we're going to look at us. So the first one is for the, for the Thessalonians, when he starts talking about these, uh, these things, I, I want you to know and be looking for it, there is a check engine light about to come on. Anybody have one of these on in your car? Does anybody live with them all the time that's on? My, the mechanic at Kenneth says, just put a piece of black tape over it where you don't see it anymore. And maybe that's probably right, because I don't even know what it's there for. Uh, so far, it hasn't died, so it's, it's good. Checking, but, but, but they, the Thessalonians, have one area. One of these three meters is in alarm. It's a check engine. You are in trouble in one of them. And we're going to look at that just a little bit from their sake. But I want you to look at all three of them. He goes through this and he says, first of all, as for the faith of you guys, let me tell you, your faith works very well. The reason I think we need to look at this is the reason this letter is in Scripture is for us to learn from it. I had a mechanic growing up that I just didn't pay attention to and didn't learn, but here here Paul is a mechanic when it comes to the Thessalonian church, and we have a chance to look at it and learn from it. And so he says, first of all, your faith works very well. I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians first. We give thanks to God always for all of you guys constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I'm always taking time to pray for you, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Your faith there in Thessalonica works, and I admire it. In fact, when I stop to think about you in the context of prayer, there's a video that comes up in my head. There's video footage that I recall while living with you for those few weeks that we got to spend together. I saw your faith in action, and I keep reviewing it, and I keep finding myself thanking God because of your faith that works. It isn't just in the brain. It comes out the body. Now, he describes this, next screen, in 1 Thessalonians 2, he describes this. We thank God constantly, here he is again, that when you receive the word of God, when you heard words from God through us, You heard it, right? But you accepted it not as just man's words, but as it really was the word of God, which is at work in you. I can see that the word of God is at work in you. You get this, right? It's not just doing works. It's at work. I put those words in your mind. You accepted them as the word of God, and it started working in you. It starts happening. You take a medication, you take it in your mouth, you take it right here, but it starts working in every part of your body to do what it's supposed to do. Faith is supposed to do that. It's supposed to come in here and get a place in your brain and then it's supposed to work itself out in your life and I could see it. But you recall, don't you, that Paul was rushed out of town and the church didn't have as much of a grounding start as he'd like And so he was terrified. Man, there wasn't enough time to put the faith in them for good. It's going to be all for naught. It's going to be futile. And he sends Timothy back to him just to see what it goes. And this is what Timothy comes back with. 1 Thessalonians 3, next screen. Timothy has come back from us to us from you, brought us the good news of your faith and love, reported that you always remember us kindly. Your faith continues to work. Then we look at 2 Thessalonians. Here we are in our text. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly. Look at the last line of this. Faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions you're enduring. You are paying a high price for the very faith that you have, and yet, while you are suffering for it, it's growing. Faith is to grow in us. And even when it causes trouble... Even when it causes stress, even when we suffer for it, even in the middle of the persecution, that faith can continue to grow, and that's what he wants. And the Thessalonians have great faith because it's working in them, and Paul can see it. He says also their love is working. It's strong, and it's well-known. He mentions that again in the first letter of Thessalonians when he talks about their love, right? Right? Your labor of love, he says. Your works of faith, your labor of love in that first Thessalonians very beginning of that letter. Your love motivates you to work in each other's lives. If a church is planted in a very afflicted time like the Thessalonians was, that church was born in adversity. And yet it was born there And the only way it's going to live is if they rely on each other and lean on each other. And he describes this church as a church that survived because they did. They leaned on each other. They loved each other. They served each other during that time. When you come out of a pagan world and everybody's pagan and you form this little bitty church in this town of Thessalonica, how is it going to survive? How does it have any chance to survive when everything's against it? It does if they love each other and they sustain it by leaning on each other. And he loved it because they did. Chapter 3, he says this. Before he sends the second letter, right in the middle of the first one, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. I want your love to continue. Keep leaning on each other. You have to have each other. You cannot do this in isolation. You can't just read your Bible and pray every day and expect your faith to be sustained you have to love each other. And the Thessalonians were. These two gauges were strong, but there's a third gauge, isn't there? Next screen. Their hope was functioning, but I'm telling you, this is, the, this is the gauge that was going off. This is the gauge that was struggling for them. It did in the first letter, and it will in the second. But I want you to notice this as we go back to 1 Thessalonians. He says, we give thanks for you, just like as we have read the other times. Your work of faith your labor of love, and he says, the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You absolutely have a total hope in Jesus. That's where you've put it. You haven't put it in life stuff. You haven't put it in finite things. You haven't put it in circumstances or events that are coming or in your husband or your wife or your children. You're putting it in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to sustain you through everything. But you know in that first letter they were struggling because they had loved ones who died, and they thought they were missing out on something. And he further informed their hope by saying, I want you to know, you don't miss out on anything when a Christian dies. The dead in Christ will rise first, and the living will rise to meet. They're not missing anything, and it calmed them. It gave them great peace, and their hope was restored, and it was like they were back to being steadfast. But between the first and second letters, something else happened. Here's 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2. Next screen. Yeah, the hope was back back. Keep going. Right there. This is what happened between the first and second letter. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our being gathered together with him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken. Or in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be written by us or from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come someone came between these letters and said or wrote a letter in Paul's name forged his name and said to them the day of the Lord has already come we are living in the resurrection time now what you're experiencing right now is all there is. Paul was speaking spiritually. He was speaking metaphorically. There is no resurrection like you were thinking. Now, is this just a little bit of, well, it doesn't really matter what the second coming's like? Is this like one of those doctrines and the things that come up that you're like, well, it's no big deal? No, he says, not only, not only did you get your mind disrupted, but he says, your life is shaken you are alarmed, you are upset, you are totally shaken by this truth. Guys, if we think this life is all there is, we ought to be shaking and anxious and worried and alarmed. If we think this is all there is the Christian life, we ought to be a little worried and fretful and biting our nails. If this is all there is. And so Paul says, there's an alarm going off, you guys need to be straightened out. And we're going to straighten that out in this letter. But that's where the Thessalonian gauges were. I want to talk about ours. Gauge number one for us. Next screen. Maybe next screen. Yeah. What about your faith? but what, what, what about your faith gauge? According to these letters, your faith needs to grow as you learn more. You keep learning. You never say, you know, I don't need to go to Bible class. I don't need to this because, you know, I've heard it already. I've been through this class a hundred times. And so I know everything there is to know about the Christian faith. You keep learning. But it's not just about learning up here. Bible class sounds like it's just about here It's also as we put what we know into practice, and the more that that knowledge seeps into our being and comes out our actual lives, your faith meter gets healthier and healthier. Now let me give an example. We're going to model this. Here's one verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you believe this? Do you believe this is spirit-inspired word of God, fully authorized from your creator truth? Do you live like it? Can you gossip if you do this? Can you... Doesn't it supposed to seep in? Isn't it supposed to seep in? And if you're one of these people that uses bad bad language flippantly, just casually, and and, and maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe you work at a factory and just let it go freely, doesn't this verse say, and and God's this way, you you can't believe it and then not live it. There can't be that gap. And so he says, to your, your faith meter should be going off if you believe this, but it doesn't affect your actual behavior, Right? And so if you're starting to talk about people, true or false or whatever, but it makes somebody else look bad, automatically your faith gauge should just go, hey, listen, that's that's a violation of this truth that you say you believe, but it needs to actually show up. Make that journey from your head to your heart to where it comes out your body. Are, are, Are you... Are you letting people have it? Just saying what's on. Well, I just think about it. I just let them have it. And, and uh, just tell them the truth. You know, no, no filters. Or maybe, maybe you get frustrated because here's the thing. He says even when you are in affliction or suffering, it doesn't excuse not obeying. And so you might be under stress. You might have a deadline coming. And you start being sharp. You start being sarcastic. You start being very smart-alecky. Is that covered by this verse? Locker room talk, is it covered by this verse? Bad jokes, is it covered by this verse? It seems like it is. So my question is, is it filtering down or not? If it's not, there should be an alarm going off saying, hey, listen, you might believe this with your head, but it ain't coming out your body like that. I just kind of have this understanding like that. Now, okay, you fail. You're frustrated with your spouse and aren't they the ones that we do this with the most and we get so sharp and we get so cruel even with our words once you do that you know you violated this so if you want to get back in line with this verse what should you do then what should you do to make it right once you violated this? It seems like you should use your talk to submit back to this verse and come back with an apology and make an amends. Don't just say, Well, you know, I was stressed or I had a bad day. I don't care if you had a bad day or not, your faith is still intact. Your faith still is un- over you. You are still in submission to the truth even when you don't feel well. So use that verse to get back into line and make some apologies. And some of us. Husbands need to get better at making those apologies and saying why that was wrong. What I said to you was not wholesome. It wasn't right. It didn't do you any good. It didn't build you up. And all it did was push your buttons because I wanted to hurt you in that very moment right there. And that's out of place. Put the faith meter back where it needs to be. The love gauge The love gauge is about growing as you give some mental consideration to each other. Sometimes this is a physical act. Sometimes this is to be physically present with each other. There's stuff going on in a church this size. There's stuff going on with people, and they need to be supported. How do we do this? Paul does it twice. He models two things in this letter. One is, he says, I boast about you guys. I boast about you to all the churches. And I want you to know, I think we should be good at this. I think we should boast about each other. And whether it ever gets back to you, I hope it gets back to you sometimes. Every once in a while, I hope it kind of gets back to the grapevine. I mean, if bad stuff does that, maybe good stuff does that too. We have people in Kent, we had some friends that her father was uh, in the hospice house not long ago, and we were talking to her, and I said, that place is amazing. And the hospice house is amazing. What they do is amazing. I said, but you know why it's amazing? Because of Deborah Mink. She has a heart. She works for people. She loves it out there. She serves because of Bridget Coates who's out there sometimes. I start naming our people. There's so many people. Then there's some Christians in other congregations who are there. Sue McFadden is out there. Those of you who know her. She's amazing. I start boasting about these people to the people who have a loved one in hospice house. I don't know that it ever gets back to these people. But I want them to know I boast about them. I boast about a lot of Valley View people. I boast about George and the way he supports people. He, he's not even an employee here, right? And yet he's there supporting people constantly. And I just amaz- and th- there's other people like, and sometimes I want you to know and sometimes I don't want you to know. Rhonda Reed's one of the ma- most amazing nurses I've ever met in my life. Honored in a lot of ways. She needs to be honored among her own people because of the faith that she exhibits and what she does. So many of you are like that. Let's boast about each other. But the other thing is, Paul says, I pray for you. I don't want to minimize this either. Can I tell you what prayer is? And I, I know this from my own experience, but I know as I envision some of you, I have Daryl Hyde, there'll be some others. Jamie Smith will tell me this. No, Jean will, yeah, I'll brag about Jean now that I put her down. She, she will talk about this. I pray for my preacher every week, they'll say. Now here's what I know that means, right? They go someplace, maybe they're driving, I don't know maybe they're sitting there eating lunch. I don't know what they're doing but they take some mental time to consider me. They think about. But listen, I hear people say those I'm going to send you my thoughts. I'm going to send you my prayer. I don't want I don't don't send me a prayer. I can't do anything. I want you to send God a prayer about me. So don't do that stuff that's socially acceptable because nobody wants to believe in God. So I send you a prayer. Send you a prayer? What does that mean? Randy, I want you to know I sent you a prayer. And there it was. Okay, what's I going to do? Ain't going to do nothing because he and I can't do anything. We don't have ESP or anything. You know what I want to say? I sent God a request about you which takes some time. Somebody made some mental space in their brain, which takes time and mental energy. This is labor, too. Y'all, a good prayer life is labor. A good prayer life is labor. And the fact that you give attention to me, and I do this with y'all, too. So this past week, I just... Morlton and Monday I find out that Heather Johnson is gonna have a baby and I just about fell out right I thought that can't be true right she's like 48 years old how can that be true don't tell her I said that she goes to early service I'm safe if you all will just keep your mouth shut It's been a long time. I thought they decided they didn't want to. So here they're going to have it. And so I closed the computer and went and got some coffee. And I come back to it. and open it up on Facebook. Sure enough, it's still there. This wasn't just a weird thing. This really happened. Took some time to pray for her. And I named the baby Jeremiah. Jeremiah Johnson. I don't... I don't know if that's the name of the baby or not. Doesn't, I don't even know if that's the gender of the baby. I don't care. For the next few weeks, I'm gonna make mental space for Jeremiah. And I'm gonna do my role in blessing her And while you take that time mentally and even to speak that in in your prayer time to God, that is working on your behalf. I have to think about you and consider you and take some time to ponder that and send that straight to God. And all that is is L-O-V-E. This is how we love each other. Bragging about each other serving each other in the area where we may need it at a certain time and praying for each other whatever you do needs to be you need to take into consideration your posture of commitment and service and the needs of other people and finally we we need to grow our hope we need to talk we 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 are here and now people we are the present time what's in front of us right now on our schedule day-to-day people we're planning this moment And it's interesting, the things that were so important and so hopeful to us one year ago are not even in our frame of reference anymore. They're gone and replaced with something else. And what we are so concerned about right now is going to be gone shortly and we'll replace it with something else. But our hope, the steadfast hope that we have that needs to stay constant and it needs to stay outside of the here and now it needs to go into the eternal it needs to go where god is to be safely kept and that needs to be there because if not the things of this life will take on too great of importance in us and it will put all our stakes in it and all our security in it and all our hopes in it and then it's going to be gone i can't even put my hope in my relationship with my wife she won't always be here how do i know that because i've seen many of you lose your spouses And our lives have to be founded on something even more permanent than them if we're going to sustain a walk with God for all of life. Time has this way of dulling this, and suffering looks so much more weighty when our hopes are in this life all alone. We must put our hope in something more substantial than that. Do you think the anxiety and the fear and the dread that so overwhelms people today, that paralyzes and incapacitates them, do you think it's caused by this too? That we put our hopes in the wrong things? Monitor your hope gauge. We're going to be talking about our hope a lot in this letter because that's the alarm that went off with the Thessalonians. And I'm going to say this to you. I think that's the alarm that's going off with us today that makes us so very consumed by the here and now so much that it disrupts our lives. I want us to have a hope that's so secure that I don't care who wins the next presidential election. We're just fine. It's got to be more than that. A few months ago, my truck, that old antique, started just making a racket. It was terrible. I didn't know what was going on. Just It would do fine for about 10 minutes, and then it would go nuts, but it would never die. I thought, why isn't it going to die? So I asked around people who knew. Paul said, well, that's transmission. I thought, great, that's really expensive, so I'm I'm never going to fix that, so I'm going to look for a replacement. Have you looked at the cost of used vehicles? I won't buy any new ones. A a used one. A used one's ridiculous. People are wanting way too much for these vehicles with 150,000 miles. Only. That's what they say. Only. 280,000 miles on this thing. Only? you got to be... I'm sorry, that's therapy. Just a second. Okay. I started looking at it going, oh my goodness, how does this fit into anything? So... I go and I get Randy Simpkins. I said, let's take a drive in this thing. We drove up Hilltop back to his house. It sounded awful. I said, what is it? He says, I don't know. sounds bad. I know it sounds bad. What is it? He says, it sounds really bad. I said, no, it sounds really bad. And I said, what is it? He says, I don't know. It sounds expensive. That's Randy Simpkins. I said, I know. I finally break down, take it to a mechanic. It's the distributor. Simple thing. Not cheap, but it's nothing like a killer. And it sits on top of your engine It makes the sparks go to the right place and burn fuel at the right space and make it go smooth. And It's been purring like a kitten ever since. By the way, if you have a newer vehicle, you don't even have a distributor anymore. It's one of those antique things that only us antique people know. Got to pay attention to the vehicle. Got to pay attention to our walk with God. we got to watch these gauges because they're telling us what the danger signs are. It should be a wonderful walk with God as we journey through Him. Not just when we get to heaven, it's going to be wonderful. It should be a wonderful walk with God right now. A peaceful, confident walk right now. And it can be if you pay attention to your walk of faith. Tend to these gauges. Are you growing in your knowledge and your obedience, letting that knowledge sink in? Glance at that love gauge. Are you spending any time at all mentally making space for caring for other believers? Or have you drawn inward, become an isolated individual, gotten busy and neglected to think about anybody beyond yourself? The gauge should be going off. And don't forget the hope one, keeping your hope fully on the Lord and what he has in store for you. Or have you replaced that with the temporal dreams? and the temporary goals that change, putting your hope in the wrong things. Pay attention to these gauges, and let's keep walking. Let's do this as a church, let's do this as individual believers and as a community, and may we make this journey in such a way we get to where the hope is, and hope becomes our reality, and faith becomes sight, and love just grows more abundant. That is the dream for Valley View. Watch your gauges. If any of them, as we've talked about on this morning, any of them you're looking at going, I have misplaced priorities. I have allowed this to go unaddressed. And you need the prayers of this church. We stand ready to help you. You can take care of that you and God. But if for whatever reason you need this church's attention, we'd love to focus on you for a minute. And if you've never responded to God at all, now's the time to do that by giving your life to Christ as we stand and as we sing together.